Welcome to The Grounded Catholic, the podcast of Catholic Who's at the University of Virginia. I'm Father Joseph Anthony Cress, and in today's episode, Corinne and I speak about our patron saint for the epic academic year of 2020-2021. We're talking about none other than the martyr of charity himself, St. Maximilian Kolbe. We talk a little bit about this, uh, this great man, this wonderful Polish saint, uh, his life and how we are, desire to imitate him this upcoming year, why we have chosen him to be our patron for this really unique and um, exciting academic year that's, that's coming up this year. So we hope you enjoy. Karen, welcome back. We're getting ready to start the semester. Oh, and, yes, thank you. Um, yeah. Welcome back, welcome back. to you. <laughs> what am I being welcomed back to? Well, it's been a while since we've recorded an episode. And um, yeah, we're like on the cusp of a new semester. So I feel like... It's the first day. We're not on the cusp. It has true. begun. Yeah. We are in it. <laughs> we're in the midst of it all. But it's... it's. I don't know. It's, it's unique. It's crazy. Um, unexpected in every way and um kind of humorous too like can we can we take a step back and laugh for a second about where we are what are we laughing at just the fact that like we're starting a semester with no students like officially and that we have to do everything online so i guess we laugh or we cry yeah like there, there's, there's <laughs> got to be comedy in the, in this tragedy somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And like the hilarity of, I don't know, just having to resort to Zoom calls almost nonstop all day and sitting in front of uh, in front of your computer screen. And I feel like I want so bad to rub this in your face, like how important it is. Cause what? Because you, you would always like force me and tell me not to sit in front of a screen. You're like, get away from your screens. Yeah, like, I'm not wrong. No, but look where we are. It's paying off for me in the end. I'm not laughing about that, though. I'm, I'm trying crying. to find some humor in it. I don't know. But um, I think it's just, yeah, we're, we're starting a new semester uh, and all the excitement and joys that that has. But also, like, it's been very muted with the loss of aspects of the ministry. Um you know, loss of our, our major kickoff event, pig roast, um, you know, a lot of our in-person events, things that were going really, really well last year and last semester that we were expecting to kind of continue and, and carry on that momentum, but just re- being able to reset. Um, so like there's this weird mixture of the excitement of a new semester, having a group of incoming students coming in, uh, first year students transfers. But at the same time, it's a little bit subdued this year oh it's very much usually this time of the semester i have not slept i've been cooking for 12 days straight (laughs) um getting ready for pig roast getting ready for all of our welcome week activities there's it's so busy and filled with so much activity and um a few days ago i was around a couple people um for like a, a socially distant activity and even though it was just for a few hours, I was so drained afterwards. <laughs> I felt <laughs> like I had forgotten how to socialize around more people than just my family. And yeah, that's that was very strange. I can laugh at that. Mm-hmm. 
I think there's the the other aspect of just when we were preparing. So we had a um, virtual open house what last week, right around this time, mm-hmm. last Thursday or so. And you said something that was really important, how like it's really hard because we're typically used to inviting new students that we meet and encounter, inviting them to different things that we have. Yeah. Uh, we don't have those things to invite them to, you know, and that's it, it can seem like, well, then nothing this ministry is put on pause. But it, it helped me to reflect that, like, well, the core of all of our invitations has to be inviting people into the heart of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so like that invitation still remains. That invitation is still here. And that's going to be kind of, I think, the the heart of our ministry this this upcoming semester or however long this freaking pandemic lasts. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the invitation is always has to be rooted in the invitation to Jesus. And that's something that can always and, and always does uh, persevere. Well, that's something we've prayed a lot about is yeah. how to be a relational ministry and not an event-based ministry. And so even when all of these changes were taking place, when we made the decision to take the ministry virtual and when looking at all of the restrictions and regulations that we were being confined to, pretty much canceling all of any sort of events that we would want to do when we looked at the bigger picture it actually didn't really affect our mission and our vision because everything's about relationships anyways, not about the events and relationships can still thrive during this. So that was the exciting thing was when we realized like, actually this doesn't change too much. And I think it like, it helps us and it's going to actually strengthen the ministry. It changes the external, but internally the ministry is, is strong and, Mm -hmm. and yeah, well, get through it we'll get through it so as we prepare for this upcoming semester as we do pretty much every year we we talk we pray about um entrusting this academic year uh entrusting the ministry for the next um, academic year to a specific saint and looking to them for guidance looking them to imitate some aspect of their life and um you know deferring to them for their uh support their petition their help and this year, I'm really, really excited about our saint. Um, <laughs> this was through your prayer and your inspiration that we're entrusting this this year's ministry to none other than Saint Maximilian Colby. <laughs> Foghorns going off. There's pyro in the background. Yeah, no, I'm very excited about him. He is somebody who has been following me around. I think he's been following both of us mm-hmm. and the ministry as a whole around since last year, uh, right around this time. So about a year ago, we were in Poland, which we've recorded a podcast about that, which if you want to hear more details about our trip, go back and tune in to <laughs> the adventures. Also, of I'm not Krin afraid of re- recording part two <clears throat> of Poland because I'm sure there's more stories that we could have covered oh, as Father, well. The, the, we could just have a whole podcast dedicated to our love for Poland, <laughs> um, Polish saints, Polish history, um, Polish faith. But we uh, so we started out our pilgrimage in um, well, we flew into Krakow and then we immediately took a bus to Auschwitz, which is the home of Auschwitz. And what was the second one? Birkenau. Birkenau. Um, and that's where our 
our walking in the footsteps of the saints began, and we were both pretty intimidated about that, but that's just how our traveling arrangements seemed to work out most efficiently. Um, but starting a pilgrimage um, in one of the darkest places on earth mm-hmm. was daunting. Like, how do we take students into that, help them enter into it, and then move through it? And what we found was that was probably the best way to begin. And yep. it's apparent that St. Maximilian Colby played a very large role in forming that pilgrimage. I mean, um, we, we were worried because we <laughs> knew people were going to be jet lagged. For some of the students, they had never uh, flown transatlantic, yeah. you know, and kind of dealing with a lot of the the physical exhaustion right. of that. And then there's, it's, we know touring concentration camps and walking through the history is also very emotionally exhausting. And so like right. that was our very uh, large worry, but we kind of took a risk and said, no, this is important. It can, mm-hmm. we think the it can provide a good framework for the rest of the pilgrimage. Right. You know, well, we didn't really know that we were like, well, let's see what happens. (laughs) And, but that's what we realized was it did provide the framework because out of such darkness came these incredible saints, St. John Paul II, St. Faustina, St. Maximilian Colby. um, And there are several others that we um, grew close to, but the joy and the charity, the compassion of the Polish people, um, it, it made it so much more real experiencing it in the light of the great tragedies that they endured. Um, but one of the most beautiful parts of that time was getting to know St. Maximilian Kolbe. And you did, um, I think our first morning there, you said mass wearing these vestments oh with gosh. the stripes of his... Um, his prison uniform that had the number embroidered on it, like his number. One of the um, most beautiful chasubles I've ever it, seen and definitely have ever worn. It was a work of art. It, it, it was, was it, it gave me chills just, just looking at it. And uh, I remember the homily that you gave um, outlining all the details that went into this, um, these vestments and how they were a tribute to his life and his sacrifice and, um, so a little bit about about St. Maximilian Kolbe is um, he was born in Poland, but actually, little known fact, he was actually Ooh. half German. His father, I, I believe, um, was German. And he was actually offered um, when the Nazis invaded. They um, found out about his background and essentially asked him to sign something that he would so that he could be acknowledged as a German citizen and he would have been freed from persecution. Um, but he would have had to align with the Nazi party. And so he refused. And, uh, I think that's beautiful just that he, he kind of carried both, um, both heritages with him Mm -hmm. and he never, like, it wasn't like he abandoned his German heritage, but, um, I think he stood for like the, the beauty of, of, um, of each culture. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, he was born, he became a, a Franciscan, um, he entered the order. Uh, he was a conventional Franciscan, right? A conventional yeah. Franciscan. But he he entered with his older brother when he was 13 and was allowed into the novitiate when he was 16. He was ordained a priest at 24, but he had um, he gained a doctorate in philosophy at 21 and a doctorate in theology 
at 25. I mean, like this guy is insane. And so that for me, hearing all of this, which I only recently um, learned about these facts, just makes him even more of just a badass for our students. Am I allowed to say that? Oh, you just did. Well, thank you. <laughs> for, for the record, there have been two curse words on this ep- on oh, this podcast, and both of them have I come from your lips. Another. I think <laughs> both have come from your lips. Just for the record. Oh man, how but the turntables. Yes. Um, uh, how the turntables. So. so <laughs> So he, I mean, he just, he did so much. He was a missionary in China and Japan and India for several years. And he founded this beautiful movement of um, promoting entrustment to the Virgin Mary. Um, He tried to entrust the entire Franciscan order to them, but there were so many like legal things to go through to kind of um, bring a a change that large into it. Because he wanted to add like... He wanted to add an additional vow for the Franciscans. Franciscans. That was an entrustment to Mary. And unfortunately, after he died, it was dropped because he was the main promoter of this. So if anybody's listening who feels a call to the Franciscans and wants to continue his work. Wants to upstart that sucker. Yeah. (laughs) You would have amazing. You might want to get into solemn vows before you make that known. (laughs) I'm just putting it out there. Don't come straight out of the gate. That's not. Right. Yeah. Well, but. Not a bad idea, though. (laughs) It's true. Um, I mean, but you wouldn't. Uh, no, I can't say that. You just, yeah. Anyways, moving on. It was going to be a Dominican jab at the Franciscans. That's of course all it was. It was. For um, the after show. <clears throat> yep. Well, St. Francis is one of my patrons, so Sorry you're going to have that. to keep that to yourself. Um, Father, what are you talking about? You love the Franciscans. I went to Franciscan University. Exactly. It's fine. Oh, my gosh. Um, so... He, I mean, he just, he had such a, a big legacy that he was leaving. And even just in his early life, it was incredible to look at. And what we know him well for is he was, he and a bunch of the Franciscans, a bunch of the pri- the priests um, were um, arrested and sent to Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. And during, I know you're going to go into this more, but... Um, a prisoner had escaped and they were going to make an example of a bunch of other prisoners to kind of deter and and um, instill a bunch of fear into anybody ever thinking about any sort of rebellion or escape again. And one man was chosen and um, St. Maximilian decided to take his place. And so he was sent, there was 10, um, he was sent into a starvation room where he was the last of the 10 after two weeks. And um, he was then um, injected um, with a lethal injection that killed him. Um, but so that's what we know him. He, he was a martyr for his faith. I think St. John Paul II called him a martyr of charity because um, there was some debate about whether he could be called like a true martyr for the faith because um, <clears throat> he it wasn't like he was... Uh, it wasn't odium fide. It wasn't like hatred against the faith that he right, was killed. Right, right. It was, it was an act of charity right. taking someone else's place. Although, I love St. John Paul II. There was a lot of debate and people were like, I don't know if we can call him a martyr. And, you he know, getting really legalistic it. with the words. And, and St. John Paul II came in and was like, excuse me, uh, he died at the hands of the Nazis and they were the biggest oppressor or they were one of the biggest oppressors of faith. So don't tell me that he wasn't martyred for his faith. 
So uh, he shut that down. So the idea was he was arrested, put in the concentration camp because he was a Catholic priest. That's right. Hatred against the. But faith. his death was. But, yeah. No, an, no, no, no. So. Anyways, uh, I still love the term a martyr for charity. Yeah, and I, that's something yeah, yeah. that I, I love and I want to, that drew me to him. So when we were in Auschwitz, we got to see um, his cell. Um, we got to see the room where he was uh, kept with these other prisoners. And I think seeing it, I mean, so many things just kind of hit you. And I, maybe I, I just, I wasn't expecting um, going on these tours because you can just, I mean, it was so packed. It was the summer. Everybody was going Everybody on these was, tours. And there were, there were school groups, um, people right. from all over the place. Yeah. yeah. And you had to find a translator who spoke your language and mm-hmm, they just, mm-hmm. they, it was like they had a translator or a, a guide for every single language that could be spoken. Um, and that- also shout out to the Auschwitz museum, um, uh, the foundation that runs that they did such oh, yeah. such a beautiful job of really educating but also um being respectful in helping everybody to enter into that yes so um yeah and and that's i i expected it um kind of when you were there we were there on a pilgrimage but you could tell a lot of other people it wasn't quite pilgrimage it was like right, an educational right. you know let's experience this part of, of poland's history and experience this um uh, you know, the horrors of World War II, like enter in, mm-hmm. into that um, that moment in time. But I was so impressed with how they preserved the elements of faith. Wow. And there were three sections along the tour where they asked you to maintain silence and like pay a moment of respect. And it was, it was you know, for those who want to pray or, and it was like, we just, we want you to like honor mm-hmm, this, mm-hmm. like this information, um, this space that we're allowing you into. And, you know, one of them was the gas chamber. One of them was um, the room with uh, like a lot of like the hair. Yeah. Um, that was, yeah. that was insane. Um, and then the, the last one was St. Maximilian Colby's cell. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, and, and they told his story. They didn't tell personal stories of prisoners or even guards really there weren't um I, I mean there were there were exhibits that uh, showcased you know people's right. in their own words who were there or family members things like that but to hear this huge part um of the tour be dedicated to this holy man like he was the one person that they went into his story he was the one person that they like there was a shrine to his life there and that that was so impactful um and so beautifully beautifully done and i i just remember feeling like this man was um was great like he he's continuing to influence so many people secular Mm -hmm. religious um and I was so surprised at how tiny that room was. Right. I think I expected, right. you know, like you, they're creaming, you know, they're putting 10 people in a room and, and they would say he was always so happy whenever the guards came in and the guards would hear him just singing and leading everyone in prayer, all this stuff. So, um, but aside from just being so drawn to his story and like the beauty of his character and that gift, like that martyrdom of, of charity, of love that he did for um, this man, which we'll go into a little bit later. Oh, um, oh should okay, I try? Okay, we're laughing right now. Hold on, hold no, on. No, because we're laughing because um, <laughs> he's a very, very Polish name. Um, he does. It's translated to English as Francis something, 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 um, which I, I, I struggle with my Polish. 
Um, do you want to? And he- I don't know how to say this last name, so I'm going to kick it over to we you. We did. We You're did. You're a little better at your Polish, so go ahead and I say am. his last name for me or his whole name. Yeah, this is me saying it. Franciszek Gajowniczek. Wow, your you accent that? is wonderful. I know. Let can me can say you it. say it again just so let, I hear? Yeah, let me say it one more time. Franciszek Gajowniczek. Franciszek Gajowniczek. So uh, <laughs> that that's the gentleman that St. Maximilian um, kind of exchanged his life for. Yeah. Well, so kind of going into why he's the patron for our ministry, and then I'll let you tell some more personal stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so with everything that has changed for us, like one thing I, I was so amazed with, you know, like we're, we're used to hearing like that big like act, um, like that sacrifice that he made. Mm-hmm. And I think we forget about the huge influence that he had on the church um, before. Like he founded a monastery in Japan. Like he has a huge following in Japan. Who would who would know that? Like that that's something that's kind of random. You would never like associate with Saint Maximilian Kolbe with with Japan, but he he had a huge influence there. Um, obviously, he was very intelligent. He founded this. Um, devotion to um or this group devoted to um promoting devotion to the blessed virgin mary entrusting one's life mm-hmm. to her um called the militia immaculata um which if you want to learn more about that go look that up i don't we don't have time to go plant go bigger go home but it's, yeah <laughs> not on this episode i know but it's i mean it's beautiful he did so much and he he had an amateur radio show hey uh, um so he was he was so he's a patron saint of communications um, I, I believe of I think of the, like, ra- yeah, the radio. radio digital communication something like that yeah. yeah so he he had such a, a far-reaching um influence and he he really wanted to use every single means necessary to reach those with the love mm-hmm. of Christ mm-hmm. and the love of the blessed virgin um which I, I one in the same let's face exactly it. exactly um no they're not <laughs> but if you if you're growing close to Mary she's leading you straight to Jesus so um but that's something like I think you and I have been so used to in talking about the ministry and seeing the way that it's been growing like we feel like we've had to do a lot of that too like yeah, we've tried yeah. to use every means necessary shout out to this podcast um <laughs> something that I was not as comfortable starting <laughs> as you um but, you know, utilizing the Internet, utilizing social media, um, being very present to our students, to the people that we want to serve, recognizing mm-hmm. that we are here to serve the UVA student body and, and not just the Catholics, but everyone. So right. how can we reach them? And uh, like his desires, St. Maximilian Colby's desires mirrored ours. Like we want those things for this community. And you and I have also felt that since this past spring break that our um, our ministry has been severely kind of cut short. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I can only imagine like St. Maximilian Colby gave his life to be a priest, to be a Franciscan, to pray, to reach those with the gospel and the love of Christ and to be taken and sent to this camp where like to talk about Christ, like, you know, like mass is being severely restricted, like all of these things, these ways that he's been used to serving the people of God have been stripped from him. Mm-hmm. And yet like in, in him, um, like the way that he entered fully into like lived in the present, lived where he was like, okay, God, 
I'm not able to serve you in my church. I'm not able to serve you in my monastery in these ways that I thought that I was going to be able to. Um, where now? Like, who who am I called to love and to serve? And it ended up being a man standing right next to yeah. him. Um, and, and that's it, how I feel like our ministry is being called to serve right now. We have severe limitations. And so if our desires are the same as St. Maximilian Colby's, and he was able to make this tremendous offering of love in severely limited circumstances, then he can teach us how to do the same. I think that as you were talking about, you know, praying about St. Maximilian, these kind of connections you're making that like, Hey, he became a priest to, you know, celebrate the sacraments and give the mercy of God. And, and like you said, make Christ known and all these things. And yet his greatest, most quote unquote famous act as a priest had nothing to do with that. Right. You know, it was his life of, education it was his life of prayer and serving the poor setting up these monasteries all of that prepared him mm. to to be sacrificial and loving in the concentration camps mm-hmm. and there's a lot of other stories that kind of show that consistency um of character and of prayer outside of that just like kind of the greatest moment that he's known for is the the exchange of his life for the other prisoner. Um, Francis, how do you say his last Franciszek name? There it is. Um, I've been practicing. But I also, you know, as I started to pray about um, his patronage over our ministry, specifically this academic year, one of the things I realized is his greatest, um, you know, sacrifice and moment of love was actually keeping those around him, encouraging them to pray, encouraging them to uh, lead lives of devotion to Our Lady and growing closer to Jesus. And he was in this very, very tiny cell. Once again, you can attest to seeing how small that was with 10 other men, and they were being starved to death, intentionally Mm -hmm. starved to death. Nine other men. Nine other men, 10 total, you're right. Uh, uh, Intentionally starved to death with very, very little light. You you saw how small the window was. So almost in complete darkness. Right. Um, So sensory deprivation, right? And actual physical nourishment uh, deprivation as well. And yet he continued to encourage them. And he's singing songs, encouraging them to pray to Our Lady in the midst of this and being joyful. And the guards, instead of hearing these moans and groans of men who are dying they're hearing laughter and right. singing and joy and so looking at that is like our circumstances as they are right now in the world and in the ministry are encouraging us to keep our circles small to right? love locally love locally mm-hmm. and i'm looking at him i'm like this is a man who loved nine other men very well extremely well yeah and he wasn't concerned with anybody else than those nine that were his small circle and you think like i i think about i mean there's so many parallels to um like little associations that we could draw like the whole world at that time like world war ii was in chaos like there were there were so many people needed Mm -hmm. love and needed help and um and not at all to uh you know make the comparison that a the pandemic is anything like world war ii but it was the whole world was thrown into confusion during this and that's something i think that we feel like we're in now and we look around us and we see a lot of people struggling and a lot of people hurting and there's confusion and uncertainty about what um 
what the future is going to look like and how we are going to get through it. And I think, you know, obviously uh, many people are, are ill, but then I think about like the effects that this is taking on mental health. Oh my gosh. It's huge. And that's, that's kind of a, a twin pandemic right now. Exactly. And, um, and I think like, I, I look at that and I, I'm like, what can I do? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. how, how can I be a light during this? When I too feel like I'm in that, like, yeah. I've definitely wondered how can I be a source of strength to the students when I'm struggling with this? Like I'm hurting. I have been questioning, like, am I even supposed to, do I even like ministry? Why am I not excited about anything? <laughs> and it's, I mean, you've hear, heard me deal with this. Yeah, and, yeah, I know. Um, but that, but that's the thing. Like, yeah, like St. Maximilian Colby was in the concentration camps with them. It he wasn't was starving like, with them too. Exactly. And um, yeah, I, I just, I think he, I, I'm looking forward to him continuing to, te- to teach me mm-hmm. about how to love the people in front of me and not get completely overwhelmed with where we are and like the big picture of things and, and focus on, yeah, loving the person standing next to me or loving mm-hmm. the people who are, you know, in the same, like, yeah, in that same little cell yeah. in front of me. Um, and I think there, there are two stories I want to tell about uh, St. Maximilian uh, from his time in the concentration camp. And the one is is kind of the the most well-known. It's the, the exact um, event that made him a mar- martyr of charity. Mm-hmm. And then there's a little lesser known one that that uh, happened years or not years, but uh, a time before that. So um, we've kind of mentioned this, I think maybe given it kind of glancing blows, but like to really talk about the his heroic um, sacrifice that, that made him um, made him a martyr of charity. And a lot of this I've received from a good good friend of mine sister gaudia uh shout out shout we out to sister you. Gaudia. we love you so much uh you're our favorite and <laughs> i'm not afraid to say it nope but sister gaudia is a um religious sister she's a sister of our lady of Mer- the congregation of our lady of mercy uh which is the same congregation that saint faustina um Joined. belonged to yeah. and not found no she did not found it I she think belonged a lot to of it people mm-hmm. which is just so beautiful that jesus led her there yeah it's, it's awesome because she wanted and I've, I've read her letters to her spiritual directors and she wanted so bad to start a new religious order mm. dedicated to the divine mercy and she continually said the lord wants me to do this like one and but she was always obedient to her spiritual director as well as mother superior who never allowed it mm. and little enough like now that entire order is taken on the mission yeah that she had received as their very own so it's, yes. it's that's a beautiful story maybe we'll do another event maybe or a podcast episode Gaudian to talk about do it. you hear that sister <laughs> that is uh an invitation yes uh, a public invitation so there you go <laughs> but a, a lot of these stories that i'm about to tell about saint maximilian colby i've received from sister gaudia uh who mm. herself is a polish um religious sister and uh, knows these things very intimately and actually knows many people who are in the camps um, or have has, she's met them as well. Uh, so th- these stories are very, how should I say, validated mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in many different ways. But so St. Maximilian was uh, in the camps. And as you mentioned, uh, a, a few people had escaped 
I think a it few was prisoners. Just one. Maybe it was one. I forget exactly the number. Yeah. Uh, but a prisoner had escaped, and as punishment to um, deter deter put fear in the other prisoners from trying to imitate yeah. that. Um, they typically make a very public um, punishment, which is punishing other prisoners for uh, an individual's actions. And right. so what they did was they had the prisoners line up in, a, in, the, in the yard and the commandant was walking through the prisoners and he was going to pick 10 prisoners to kill. Um, to starve. To starve. Which, I mean, it, I almost feel like you know, if you're just going to take a bullet in the head, that's quick, that's over. But mm-hmm. to spend like your last days just in agony, like watching the people around you like that, really, that's like a that's like a psychological torture too, Absolutely. on top of Absolutely. a physical torture. I mean, it, it's just evil in every in every way. And what's even more evil was that the commandant wasn't just picking the first 10 that he walked across, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You're coming with me. Go he tortured the entire group so he had everybody line up and he would walk through the prisoners and for some he would stop in front of them and just stare at them to make them think that he's going to choose them to die Mm. and then move on yeah it's psychological it was totally psychological torture and to instill this fear and let them know that he had power over them yeah they had no power they had no individual rights nothing their their dignity their humanity was gone and he took it. He took it all, and he was in control of it. So anyway, he walks up and and then um, chooses essentially Francis Franciszek Gajewniczek. There it is. Uh, he chooses Francis to be one of the ten to die via starvation, and um, Francis is standing next to Saint Ma- Maximilian, and as the commandant walks away. Francis says under his breath, or as the Polish uh, phrase is, under his nose, like just kind of this whisper, just, I have a wife and kids. And just like this very subtle, just kind of desperation. Wasn't it just kind of like a, my wife, my kids? Yeah, like, just. <sighs> yeah. And yeah. you can see it, like, you know, the tension and kind of holding your breath of like, what's this man going to decide about my life, my fate? Which affects the family that I'm supposed to be taking care of. And he hears the negative news and you just hear that kind of exhale, like, my wife, my kids. Yeah. And essentially the only person that heard him say that was Maximilian Colby, Mm. who was standing right next to him. And so as the commandant's walking away, Maximilian calls out to him and says, I'll take his place. And that just shocked everybody. Nobody speaks up. No prisoner would ever speak up to a guard, let alone the commandant. Well, because to do so would mean subordination and you would have been executed on the spot. On the spot. So, like, that was unexpected. Nobody does that. Mm -hmm. And not only did he speak up, then he immediately starts walking towards the commandant. (laughs) Like, breaks file, like, breaks rank. And starts walking towards him, approaching him, to confront him. Wow. Why he didn't receive a bullet in his head like at that moment, nobody knows. Nobody understands why he was not killed on the spot. Wow. And the commandant looks at him and in kind of a derogatory way says, what is you want, swine, like pig, mm-hmm. like, you know, this very derogatory. 
And he says, I'll take his place. Didn't he say, like, I'm a Catholic priest. I yeah. This man has a wife and kids. I want to take his place. And so as he initiates and says, once again, he's initiating with the Nazi. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just so absurd to have a Polish prisoner in Auschwitz initiate this kind of conversation. And the commandant then replies a second time, says, what is it you want, sir? Oh and that like the craziest like why is he calling this prisoner now sir oh my god and then maximilian says hey, i'm a catholic priest i'll take his place he's got a wife and kids it's fine and the commandant allows it wow. like nobody changes his mind let alone a prisoner and he allows it mm-hmm. and this is a public act of insubordination of like Watching everybody see this happen is just utter confusion. Mm. But that kind of like boldness of St. Maximilian to act in charity. He heard, you know, Francis's kind of exhalation, his prayer, his despair. Yeah. And then does such a beautifully public act of charity. Well, it's, you know, what's that... Quote, like perfect love casts out fear yeah like the love that he had for that man he wasn't thinking about the consequences no. of of yeah breaking rank and confronting the guard and it was just like no please let me like yeah. i want to take his place it was simple yeah it wasn't complex it was yeah. just a simple act of love and i, I love just it, it makes everything kind of come together and the the one aspect of of that story that continually echoes in my ears is the kind of small whisper that exhalation of francis's prayer my wife my kids mm-hmm. and as i was thinking about this and it's just like even those prayers we make in whispers the things that we're maybe really afraid to actually verbalize <laughs> and we kind of want to keep in the hearts but like even those smallest prayers those prayers made in whispers like our Lord hears that. Yeah. And he responds to those. Because honestly, those are probably the truest prayers. I think so. Like, they're they're uninhibited. Well, they're cries from the heart. Boom. Yeah. And that's where, like, I take so much courage from watching Maximilian sacrifice his life and and take that bold step and you know how important that is i take courage from that but like for me i take courage in the fact that this man of god heard that prayer in a whisper Mm -hmm. and he was motivated by the holy spirit inspired by god to hear that prayer and so too that means god hears those prayers in our life Yes. And so like I'm in those moments of despair and those moments of just confusion and, and, and hurt and all these things, those uninhibited prayers of whispers, like I'm very comforted to know that God hears them too. Yes. You know, now the, the second story I want to tell about uh, St. Maximilian in the concentration camps is uh, one that happened earlier in his time in the camp. And it comes from another gentleman. I don't know his name, so we're not even going to try that. But uh, this, once again, story comes from Sister Gaudia. But uh, this gentleman uh, was going through a very tough time. And during our time touring the camps, um, they talked about how for the prisoners who who lived in those camps, um, there would be kind of moments that they would lose hope. And once hope was lost, then 
they the died. Very, the will to live yeah. also went very, very quickly. Sure. And so this prisoner recounts how he had been working very, very hard and all these things. And it got to a day that he just decided he couldn't go on anymore. Mm-hmm. Like he was done. And he knew it was very clear. And he just, it all evaporated. And he knew at that moment he was done. And he was going to die because there was no other option left. Mm-hmm. And he's walking the the gravel sidewalk in between a few of the buildings. And he's coming up to um, to another prisoner. And the prisoner just happened to be um, Maximilian Colby. And Maximilian just basically said uh, one word to him, which is like, how? But in Polish, that means like, hey, how are you? Mm. You know? And the the man just looked at him and said, I'm, you know, I'm done. Mm. And Maximilian turned to him and said, hope. Hope. Wow. And then walked away. And the that prisoner said that was all he needed. He needed to be reminded that there is hope, mm. even in the presence of despair, even in the presence of totally giving up, abandonment. And when you have nothing left, there is somebody else who provides hope. And that's God. Because that's his gift to us. Wow. It's not dependent on us. So the beautiful thing was uh, a few months after that, this man and a few others uh, snuck into one of the storerooms in the camps and put on a bunch of the Nazi uniforms and hopped into one of their large trucks and drove out of the main gates of Auschwitz. Oh, my gosh. And it was about a dozen of them escaped through the main gate oh my gosh and the nazis were so embarrassed by this that they never took talked about they never spoke about it they didn't admit it ever took place because it was such a brazen act of defiance and actually exposes a huge weakness of theirs Mm -hmm. and so they actually acted like it never happened like that's how much they embarrassed the nazis wow and he was the one that led that wow well, speaking of, of those that St. Maximilian Kolbe had inspired, I think it's time we maybe just reveal kind of the ending of the story. So the man, Go for it, please. Ben Zizek, um, whom uh, St. Maximilian offered his life in replacement for, um, he, so this happened in, I think he, it said like, when was it? Um, also, one last thing I want to I want to mention here is sure. um, we talked about how he was starved to death. That was the form of punishment was starvation until the death. Mm-hmm. And he encouraged those around him to continue to pray, singing songs, keeping their spirits up to such an extent that their starvation was going on so much longer than the Nazis had expected that they actually then went into the cell and, and killed them via lethal injection. That. Um, was such a shock to the Nazis that they they were the last group to be starved to death. Mm. They proved like it wasn't as quote unquote an efficient way of killing. Right. And so because they survived for so long and were praying and keeping their spirits up wow. and actually defying the Nazis that they quit starving other prisoners. Wow. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> what an example. Yeah. Well, um, so this St. Maximilian Kolbe um, offered, he, he offered his life in, I think it was August of 1941. Um, so 
uh, he arrived there in, uh, oh, when was it? Um, yeah, he, he went to um, Auschwitz in the end of May. So then this is August. So he's okay. been there for a few months thus far. Um, and Franciszek, he had been there since 1940. So he had, he had been there for like, I think close to a year. And so people did not live long Mm -mm. in Auschwitz. Like that was one thing that was horrifying. Like seeing just how many people, um, we saw so many pictures, um, that recorded the day that the prisoner came and then the day that they died. And some were mere days apart. And these were the workers. Well, after um, being spared from starvation, uh, Franciszek ended up surviving for about four and a half more years in Auschwitz. That's insane. And he was then later transferred to another camp um, where then he was, uh, he was the allies. Liberated. Yeah. Um, But at that time it says he had spent five years, five months and nine days in, uh, in concentration camps. I mean, you think about the amount of hope and um, like the effect of the charity that he experienced from St. Maximilian Colby. And he was reunited with his wife. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. his two sons had, had died in um, they were fighting and um, they were, they were killed before he could be reunited with them. But he then made it his life's mission to promote the great act of kindness that had saved his life. And so um, somebody, somebody had written that um, so long as he has breath in his lungs, he would consider it his duty to tell people about the heroic act of love by Maximilian Kolbe. So he ended up dying in 95 at the age of 93. That's, that's so beautiful, though. Isn't I mean, like the life that he lived that Maximilian Kolbe gave him. It wasn't, you know, I, I think... I would, I would almost think like practically like, well, none of us have long to live here anyways. Like what would be the point of saving this man's life when we're all going to die here? Like, yeah. And it wasn't like they were getting liberated in the next week. He ended up living for another four years. Yeah. In in those conditions. So I I just, I think that is incredible um, and so beautiful, so inspirational. And I, I love what you were saying that, um, one, even just like one small word, mm-hmm. um, which you wonder, like with what love was that communicated that it sank in so deeply? Like I, I would hope that one day, maybe my words would have some sort of even just minor effect to that. <laughs> well, also it, it reminds me of one of my, um, classmates, uh, brother, now father, uh, Joachim, who was very calm, soft-spoken, didn't say much, but when he did speak, it was very profound mm. and how important it was. Like when, when few words are used, it actually carries more weight. Right. Which is probably a really, really good thing for me to remember because I never <laughs> shut up. <laughs> you know, and I'm always talking. Right. But yeah, like you said, when one word is spoken with such charity and care and concern, it can change everything. It can. It really can. And so um, we don't need a lot of... Um, you know, we don't need a lot of uh, opportunities and we just take what's what's in front of us and to love purely, to love intently. Um, well, I think that is also a really beautiful message to take to heart during this time when 
Um, I mean, you just think about everything going on yeah. in the world today and just in our country and like how many, how many words are just constantly bombarding us mm-hmm. and you know, how do we respond? We can respond simply and in love and that's enough. You know, like yeah. it's, yeah. it's not the amount of, of words that we string together or <laughs> the you eloquence know. of them. And sometimes right. it's their simplicity. Yes, exactly. But it's the love that 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 conveys and the love that that carries. Right. And like and and not even just like through our words too, like our actions, Mm -hmm. like rooting Mm -hmm. our actions in love and recognizing maybe it's not the amount that we do, but um, the love that we put into it Mm -hmm. that carries the effectiveness. And the only way that we're able to put that love into it is if we receive it first and we have to receive Mm -hmm. it from God. So all of that time sent in monastic prayer all the time that he spent you know loving the poor and receiving um getting to know christ and and receiving that kind of like i'm thinking of maximilian's education Mm -hmm. you know the more that he's able to know christ uh the more that he's able to love him and um yeah homeboy had a doctorate in philosophy and theology well yeah but you're thinking like well philosophy like okay maximilian like Give me, give me some like really eloquent speech about you know like the evils of <laughs> yeah <laughs> like the, reason the existence with me. of evil or yeah. you know all of that. But he didn't, yeah, he didn't resort to like it, when he came face to face with lies, evil, mm-hmm. um, on a profound philosophical level. You know, he didn't actually fight that, right? But he fought it with works of charity and words of love, um, yes. which is 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 really interesting. Uh, kind of way to approach that uh, because we want to get into these battles of words and to like win over a conversation. I want to win you over to the truth by beating you into submission with it instead of just trying to love the person in front of us. Right. Well, so often acts that. of hatred can very easily like, you know, inspire like watching or just witnessing the great evil of Auschwitz. You, you start to kind of like, man, like how evil the guards were, how evil this like movement was. Um, and you like, you start to feel the same sort of anger and hatred towards them. I'm sure that they felt towards mm-hmm. the people that they were torturing. And you're like, how could you know, like, God, how could you have even allowed these people? And, and there's something, and maybe when we do a podcast on St. John Paul II, cause those were, those were his words, especially right. growing up during that time, surviving, the only way that evil is going to be overcome is not through more violence or more um, uh, like anger towards just a different, like evil will always manifest itself under a different name unless it is combated with love, Yeah. Um, which is not like a tolerance towards our enemies, but like a greater, like, I mean, it's divine. It's supernatural. Yeah. There's nothing reasonable about it to love your enemy is a supernatural act it is and uh kind of like my my last thoughts my last words on this is when we walked away from auschwitz um planning that pilgrimage we were trying to focus on two polish saints and that was saint john paul ii and saint faustina um we didn't realize the impact that St. Maximilian would have on that pilgrimage, on our students and us as individuals. Um, it was really interesting to see that like he was an unintended pillar of that pilgrimage. Right. 
we didn't plan that. It wasn't premeditated. We were focusing on St. John Paul II and St. Faustina. And here St. Maximilian kind of like stormed (laughs) into our pilgrimage, our lives, our ministry. Um, And he may have had the the larger impact um, Mm. on us. And I was so thankful that he did. And it doesn't surprise me that we're going back and and putting our ministry under his patronage for this year. Um, But what I learned so much from that time in Auschwitz is that the the darkest place on what what a lot of people think is the actual physical darkest you know place on the earth, this place that had so much evil and suffering and hatred has become such a beautiful place of redemption and hope. Mm-hmm. And there is, you know, from that very small town in kind of like West Central Poland, there, there's a tremendous amount of hope that is shining and is the evil doesn't last, but hope does. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is the shocking thing. Like the intensity of the email or the evil, the intensity of the darkness in that one location far exceeded pretty much anywhere else, mm-hmm. but it didn't last mm-hmm. in the healing um the hope that is present there continues to affect generations. Mm-hmm. And that, that to me is the most encouraging thing. And uh, to have that kind of hope going through, no matter how, how much we struggle or how much we uh, maybe confront evil or darkness in our life to not, uh, to realize that that is transient and that the healing and the hope that is also present there uh, has a much, much longer shelf life. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess I just want to finish this up by challenging anybody who's, who's listening to this. Um, maybe uh, even in the day that you're listening to this, maybe the <laughs> week, um, spend some time in prayer. Like sit with the Lord and ask him to communicate what that kind of love is. Mm. Um, ask yourself, like, have you, have you experienced that, whether that's from you know, family member or a friend, like, have you experienced that sort of like self-giving love? And ultimately it's, it, it's, it's sources in, in God. And I think our hearts are first meant to receive it from him, but sometimes right. we need right. some human means, um, to mediate that as well. So, um, spend some time with those people who are that, that conduit of love and of charity and, um, that's what, that's what we need moving forward this semester. And, yeah. Uh, if you're comfortable going to a, a, a chapel, if, if you have a church nearby that has adoration, I think it's that's always a beautiful, beautiful first resort um, to sit in front of love yeah. itself. Oh, that's that's the encouragement right there. Sit in front of love itself, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with that, we're going to end it today um, and ask continually ask for St. Maximilian's intercession for us. So St. Maximilian Colby. Pray for us. Amen. God bless. Thank you for joining us and listening to this episode of The Grounded Catholic. I speak for on behalf of Corinne and just saying that we are extremely excited to get started with this new academic year, even in the midst of the craziness. And we are excited to entrust this ministry in this academic year to the uh, patronage of St. Maximilian Colby. 
As always, please like and subscribe to the podcast and share it with those that you think would appreciate this. We can be found on Apple Podcast as well as Spotify, and we can always be found on our website, catholicwhos.org slash podcast. That's catholicwhos, H-O-O-S dot org slash podcast. Thank you very much and God bless. Thank you.